Good morning, everyone. Another beautiful day. It's good to see everyone's faces. Uh, just for those who are brand new with us, we're doing a kind of a different series. Usually we just kind of go through a book of the Bible or do a certain um, you know, series about the attributes of God or something like that. But um, we've been in a series called Love Letters, and each message is essentially a letter that goes out to different people groups in the city. Uh, we've done a few of them, one out to moms, um, one out to the homeless. Oh, gosh, I already forgot. What was the other one I did? Artists, thank you. Yes, <laughs> of course. Um, so we're going to do this for a little while because there's a lot of different people groups in our city, especially just our immediate neighborhood here. And the intent is to deepen our compassion, deepen our understanding of people, and uh, kind of help us to grow in wisdom of even what God is saying to different people. The Bible has a lot to say uh, to specific people groups. Let's open in prayer. Father, I just ask you to put your spirit upon this message. Uh, this particular letter is so relevant to thousands of people right around us in our neighborhood. Lord, I pray that, that this message would bring freedom to some, that it would travel uh, beyond this space right here. And it would go into the neighborhoods. It would be listened to online. It would be read when it's put in printed form. And we pray that the truth behind this message would set people free. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So some of you know my wife had some issues um, in the last, really the last year, with her gallbladder, which resulted in her getting emergency surgery this week. It was a crazy week. She's fine now. But I was thinking about how her doctors dealt with her. They didn't just pity her. They didn't just speak positive things to her, but they warned her that the gallbladder needed to come out or else it would infect her blood. It could affect the organs around the gallbladder. She could die. They didn't spare the knife, but they put her under, cut her open, I hope this isn't too graphic, and removed the diseased problem. The experience was painful for my wife, but now she's better. And in the same way, as I speak this message today, I'm not going to help anyone to get free by pitying them or by speaking smooth, nice words or by sparing the knife of the word of God. My aim is not to make people feel good. It's to extract the disease of sin. And this extraction can be painful. 
I know it was for me when I was set free. It reminds me of the verse from the book of Hebrews that says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's Hebrews 4, verse 12. So this letter or message goes out to the many in and around our city who abuse drugs or alcohol. I hesitate using the word addict because so many drug and alcohol users do not view themselves as addicted. They feel that their substance abuse is merely recreational. Many use substances but still function at work and home. They point to others who have serious, more serious problems with drugs and alcohol and they comfort themselves that they aren't that bad. If you are addicted to drugs or alcohol but are in denial about it, I really can't help you. No one can help you. I'm writing this letter to those who know you have a problem and desperately want to be free. What I'm about to say will transform your life if you let it. Society is really good at diagnosing the problem of addiction and telling the addict how he became addicted. But what most drug treatment specialists cannot do is show the addict how to be happy without using substances. Most addicts know what they need to do to stop using. It's not really a mystery. The problem is they don't want to be sober and miserable, and they just don't want to get sober. And I get it. Drugs and alcohol controlled my life for about five years as a young man. This was in the 80s. The popular substances, in my circle at least, were marijuana, LSD, ecstasy, mushrooms, cocaine, and really any alcoholic beverage we could get our hands on. It started with some innocent experimentation with smoking marijuana, but a few years later, I became obsessed with getting as high as I possibly could, as often as I could. And this involved consuming large amounts of drugs and mixing drugs. I clearly had a problem and slowly began to realize it, but I really just did not want to stop. I had a sort of love affair with drugs. I did stop at certain points, and I was miserable. Part of me wanted to stop because, you know, I just wanted to pull my life together. I didn't want to die in my 20s. I didn't want to be an embarrassment to my family. At the rate I was going, I most certainly would have died. I mean, those of you who know me, you know I'm intense. Thank God I'm intense for the gospel and for Jesus and the glory of his name. The world is a safer place. You know, I'm not even saying that as a joke. But I would have died in my 20s. 
my love for being high was so intense that I figured that it would be better to be high all the time and go out with a bang at 27 than to live to 100 and be sober and miserable. A lot of people tried to reason with me, but I could not be reasoned with. Looking back at that season, it's amazing how utterly deluded I was. At first, you know, when I first started using, I felt a measure of shame for my drug and alcohol use. You know, and I hid it. But after a while, I worked it out in my mind and felt no remorse at all. I was calloused to the core, which is where drug addicts usually end up. They just don't care. Not only do they not care that they're using drugs, they don't care if they hurt people, they don't care, they don't care what their addiction does to people who are close to them, like family members. You just become numb. I told myself drugs were useful for creativity and music, which was my other obsession. Plus, I just needed them at this point to be happy. I was even convinced and preached this to people that God gave us all these wonderful substances to enjoy. Even in the height of my delusion that drug use was okay, there was always a part of me deep down that knew it was wrong. As hard as I tried to suppress my feelings of guilt, I just couldn't eradicate them. Even the best highs were accompanied by a stench of guilt and shame under the surface. But it didn't stop me. I'm writing this letter to those of you who are on the spectrum of addiction. You may be in the beginning stages of addiction. Nobody just leaps full on into heroin addiction. It just doesn't happen like that. It happens in stages. But I'm also speaking to the person who may be entangled in a fully developed addiction. I feel compassion for you because I know what that's like. I know the hell of that. I know what it's like to just be out in the middle of the night in just some dark corner and just coming down from a high and shivering and just wondering, what am I? And just feeling like an animal, feeling like a complete piece of trash as a human being. I know that feeling. But my pity won't set you free. I can tell you that you have a problem and give you reasons, as people gave reasons to me, to stop using, but that's not going to set you free. I can try to scare you by telling you you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your family. Your wife is going to leave you. You're going to lose your house. You're going to be homeless. You're going to lose your health. You could die. But these motivations just aren't enough to set you free. There's only one thing that can set you free, and that's truth. And that's what I'm here to proclaim today. Here's what happened 
to me. Someone had enough love for me to just speak candidly, right in the eye, about three inches away from my face, just speaking the truth to me. And that's the thing that shook me to the core and turned me around. They let me know that Satan is real and he masquerades as an angel of light and his intention is to do whatever he can to keep me from knowing Christ. That he wants to kill and steal and destroy my life. This friend told me that my drug use was opening me up to a demonic realm and that ultimately it would land me in hell. He shattered my hippy, dippy delusion and told me I was in rebellion toward God. As you can imagine, I did not welcome the message at all. I was so full of my own self-pity, so full of entitlement, felt so much like a victim an innocent victim of my circumstance that just the message irritated me. The only thing I lived for was getting high and this guy comes along and, and tells me drugs are evil. He was touching a nerve. He was touching my God. And I was angry. But despite my rage, there was something that rang true about the offensive words spoken to me. I decided to read the Bible for myself. So I started reading the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. And these verses were like daggers that cut to my heart. They spoke right to me. It felt like God himself was like a father just speaking truth right to my heart and exposing who I really was. And as I read the book of Proverbs, my delusions started to crumble like a house of cards. They just came falling down. I realized that everything I do and everything I am is in full view of the living God. I became aware of my sinfulness and my standing before God. I started realizing that I was in danger of hell. I realized that I wasn't a nice, a generous, a drug user but that I was a pathetic, terrible human being. It's hard to, to come to grips with that. I realized that there was a creator who was not proud of me at all. In fact, I was provoking him to wrath daily. I realized that the lifestyle that seemed right to me would actually in the end, lead to eternal death. Some of you might recognize that proverb. That was one that really cut me to the core. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. But it wasn't just, listen, it wasn't just the fear of hell that woke me up. It was the revelation that the creator of the universe was so displeased with my life that he would send me to hell. And I think that broke me. 
What have I become? My soul cried out. What a terrible thing to displease the creator. And I want it to be pleasing. Who doesn't want to be pleasing to God, pleasing to the Father, pleasing to the one who who made you? I wanted my life to have meaning. Realizing that my life was vexing to the God of the universe just started started to ruin me. It started to just crumble me inside. And as I read the scriptures day after day, something began to shift within me. I could feel my desire to please God growing and my desire to indulge in sin diminishing. The more I read what Proverbs said regarding the fool, (laughs) the more I didn't want to be a fool anymore. Perhaps the hardest realization was that I was not the good person that I thought I was. I know maybe I'm describing myself and you think, well, how could you even think that you were a good person? I really did think I was a good person. You know, I wasn't like a fighter. I was, you know, shared my drugs with people. I thought I was a good friend. Just wanted to, you know, make the world a better place and, you know, give the world music and make everybody high. But it dawned on me that I was not a good person. I was a wretched sinner. Little by little, the truth dismantled all the lies that kept me in bondage to drugs. It reduced me to ashes. And in that place of brokenness and contrition, I threw myself at the mercy of God. I wept and I wailed before him and asked him for help. My pride was finally demolished. The realization of how sick my soul was made me desperate. And listen, this is when the transformation happens, when we get to that place of desperation. And this isn't just for drug addiction, it's really for any kind of sin. We have to come to that place of being so sick of it and desperate for God that we throw ourselves at his mercy. It's essential for the addict or alcoholic to get to this point of wit's end God meets us when we're low. When I broke before God, the light dawned upon my heart and I experienced the power of God for the first time in my life. In one divine sweep over me, God flushed out the evil. He gave me a new heart, as it says in Ezekiel chapter 36, right? That's what God does. God does the work. God comes by his power, by his gospel. He puts a new spirit within us. He takes out of us the heart of stone and he puts within us a heart of flesh. He gives us a new heart. He puts the fear of God within us. He moved me to obey him. My life was changed. It was in 1989 and I've never gone back, praise God, to substance abuse in all these years. I want to shoot straight with some of you. You've heard the message of Jesus more than most people. You claim to believe in Jesus. You talk to Jesus at times. You may even attend a church. You carry a Bible. But you are still an addict or an alcoholic. Satan has deceived you, my friend, into thinking that even though you are an addict, you'll be welcomed into heaven when you die. Satan tells you that God understands how hard it is for you and that you've had trauma 
you, you're a victim, an innocent victim, and that everyone's a sinner, and Jesus died for everyone. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine in the end. But your Jesus is more like a good luck charm. It's an imaginary Jesus that doesn't exist and cannot save you in the end. Do you want to be free? Do you want the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? It begins by facing the truth that drug addiction is an offense and a sin before the Almighty. It begins when we realize that our sin is exceedingly sinful before a holy God and we desperately need to be cleansed. It begins when we realize that God does not wink at sin. He's not just this like, uh, you know, grandpapa in the sky that just, oh, uh, boys will be boys and, you know, just whatever. It's no big deal. You'll clean it up later. You know, when you're young, you do stupid things, but then you get old and you wise up. It's not like that. Our sin is an offense before the living God. And until we come to face that truth, we will never be free. Our freedom begins when we call sin, sin. It's the thing that put Christ on the cross. And when we come to grips with the fact that our sin will drag us to hell. We have, just like my wife's gallbladder would probably, if, if that thing wasn't pulled out of her, it probably would have killed her. The Bible says the soul that sins will die. It's, the Bible doesn't tone anything down. If you have sin clinging to your life, whether addiction or sexual sin or whatever kind of sin, pride, bitterness, the Bible offers no promise of eternal life. Mark that down. You can read the Bible for yourself and see if you can find it. But the Bible teaches that we have to overcome sin or it will cause eternal death in the end. Let that truth crush your pride and your self-righteousness. Let it break you and humble you into the dust because that's where you'll find God. I've talked with hundreds of addicts and alcoholics through the years Many of them claim to believe in God. I would say most of them claim to believe in God. They believe that if they overdose and die, heaven will await them. They believe that their lifestyle of substance abuse will somehow be overlooked by the Almighty. And they'll be one of the saints that go marching in. But the Bible does not promise eternal life to those who refuse to part with their sin. Mark that down. I'm telling you, there is so much bad teaching out there. I'm going to say that again. The Bible does not promise eternal life to those who refuse to part with their sin. It doesn't matter if we can attend church daily, carry five Bibles, evangelize to others, pray all the time, but unless we repent, Jesus said, what? We will perish. 
Even if you grew up in the pew and you have a grandma that prays for you daily and you've served God for years and you know awesome Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be lost in the end unless you conquer your sin by the grace of God. Now, some who read this or hear this message will get angry and reject it. I understand that. My aim is not, as I said before, to give you a fluffy, positive, smooth word that's going to make you feel good. That will do nothing for you. I'm speaking plainly because I love you. And I want you to be free in Christ. Wake up from this dream, my friend. This is your life. And you aren't okay. You aren't on the path to heaven. You aren't just self-medicating a little. You aren't justified in using and abusing drugs or alcohol because you've had a tough life. The law of God does not bend for our circumstances. It doesn't. The law is the law is the law. God will hold us accountable for our actions. As I said before, I'm telling you, there are so many strange ideas out there in the church that tell us, try to deceive us, really, into into thinking that our sin doesn't matter. I'm telling you, read the Bible. You got to read more than Christian books or listen to Christian tapes and whatever, radio, Christian radio, get into the word. Read the book of Proverbs, read the gospel of John, read the book of James, read the last three chapters of Revelation, and let the word just cut your heart. And you will find that there is no allowance for sin in our life. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We're going to struggle. We're going to stumble at times. There's a process to this, absolutely. But we are so soft on ourselves and on each other. And the word of God is not like that. We must be overcomers. Again, I'll say it. The Bible does not promise eternal life to anyone who refuses to repent from their sin. Read it in the book of, book of Hebrews, chapter 10. If we willfully continue to sin, there's a strong warning there, right? If we willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, we've heard the gospel, even our life has kind of changed somewhat, and we become maybe part of the church community, and we start to, you know, get free from some things, and we receive the, the word, but then continue to willfully sin before God. The Bible doesn't say, it'll be fine. The Bible says we should have a fearful expectation of judgment because God will judge his enemies and anybody who clings to their sin is an enemy of God. We can say what we want, oh, I love Jesus, if we cling to our sin. We are an enemy of God. Read James 4. See, the Bible just cuts through our 
our nonsense, our justifications, our like sophisticated theological explanations of how we can, you know, just kind of do what we want to do and God's just going to somehow overlook it. The Bible does not teach that God overlooks our sin. Christ came not just to die on the cross and then pass out like get out of jail free cards to everybody, little little grace cards. You know, you pull out your grace license and oh, I got grace. I believe in Jesus. He died for me. No, listen, the blood of Jesus as we sung this morning, it, it does something to you. It cleanses. The blood of Jesus washes the heart. It makes us new. If the blood of Jesus has not purged the heart, then don't profess to know Jesus and don't claim to have the grace of God in your life. If you have the grace on your life, it will change you. What you say means nothing. James talked about that too, right? The demons believe, like the demons can all day long say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I believe in the almighty God. Yeah, they believe, they tremble before God, but they're not saved in the end. If you're saved, you'll be saved from your sin. And there's no other way around that. Again, I'm just preaching the Bible this morning. I'm not, I'm just telling you like it is. This is what the word teaches. And I challenge anybody to, if you can find somewhere in the word that God promises eternal life to those who continue to sin, then I'll, I'll agree with you. But I've been through the Bible, it's over 30 years. Of, this is what I do for my vocation, is study the word and get into the word, read the word, I've read the word so many times. I'm telling you, the Bible does not promise eternal life to those who stay in their sin. You must repent. Repent means to turn away from your sin. To say, be gone. No longer. Flush it down the toilet. Cut the cord. Just stop doing evil. Isaiah 1. Stop doing evil and start doing the right thing. That's repentance. It's a 180 turn toward God and away from your sin. You say, oh, but that's so harsh. How do we do that? I, I'm, you know, I'm weak. I'm, 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 you know, I'm pathetic. I'm not strong-willed. I, you know, I can never do things. I'm, I'm undisciplined. Listen, it's not by willpower. It's by the Spirit of God working in you. It's by the power of God. Listen, I, I know what it's like to quit drugs, go back. Quit drugs, go back. Quit drugs, go right back. Quit drugs. I'm never doing this again. Two days later, I'm high. I get that. It's not about willpower. We come to a place where I'm trying to say to you, you have to face the truth and allow your heart to be broken before the Almighty. And that's the point of desperation when the Spirit of God comes in and transforms you. That's the question. Has the grace of God transformed your life? Or do you just say that you're a Christian? Do you have a form of religion? Have you been regenerated? Have you been raised from the dead? I know I'm yelling today, but I'm, I'm passionate about this stuff because I'm so angry at the satanic delusions 
in the lives of drug addicts. I should be angry. We should be angry. Because Satan comes like a, the God of this age, the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 4, and he, he blinds the eyes of unbelievers and keeps them in bondage and tells them, oh, as long as you got Jesus in your pocket, you'll be fine. As long as you, you know, say a prayer, shoot up a prayer to the big guy in the sky, you'll be fine. As long as you go to church once in a while and, you know, cry a tear. Listen, that's not salvation. That's a deception. The salvation that my Jesus died for changes your heart. And if your heart and your life have not been changed, then you don't know him. So don't give yourself a false assurance. Don't pat yourself on the back. Don't compare yourself to anyone else around you and say, well, I'm better than that person. I'm better than this person. Well, I do these uh, religious things. None of that matters. All that matters is that you are a new creation and that you have been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit from the inside out. Can someone say amen? All right, thank you for coming this morning and letting me yell at you. I'm really not yelling at you guys, but I'm just passionate about this because I, I know this is a personal, it's kind of personal. I've, I've had friends, I've known people who have got fallen back into drugs. I've known people who have overdosed and died. I've known people, I was very close with and seeing just the devastation of addiction. Marriage is falling apart, and I know personally what it's like, the hell of being in bondage to drugs. So I am angry. It's Satan's delusion over the lives of people. I want to ask as we close this service, I want to ask you guys to stand with me if you're able to, and we're going to pray. Not sure where the police are going, but this is kind of the regular thing around here. You know, we, we were right in the front of the church on the steps. You know, a guy overdosing right on the street. We've, you know, if you're at the building for any length of time, you'll see uh, right here at Crossroads, you see people um, overdosing and ambulance comes. And this is just, it's happening. People are dying. This is life or death. Jesus, we just cry out first against the power of Satan. Lord, your word says that Satan, you said, Jesus, that Satan comes to kill and steal and destroy lives. He comes like an angel of light to get everybody high, but really his intention is to drag people into hell and keep them from the joy and the peace that they can have in Christ. Lord, we pray against the delusions of the wicked one. We pray against the power of Satan in this city that works, his works of evil in this city. We pray that his works would be stripped, disarmed. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your blood that has overcome the power of Satan. 
Lord, we pray that you would set people free. We pray for a movement of your spirit to just cut through these neighborhoods, to go right through this building right across the street, right through from the, from the bottom floor right to the top, that your power would flow and set people free. Lord, we pray for those who are at wit's end. We pray for those who are suicidal because I can't get free. We pray that you would raise them from the dead. We pray for those, God, who are just at utter wit's end. Jesus, send them hope. Bring them here. Bring us to them. God, we pray that you would raise people out of the, the ashes of their addiction. Lord, if you send me free, you can set anybody free. Thank you that there is freedom. Thank you that you don't want us to be in bondage. You don't want anybody to be a slave to sin. You don't want anybody to be an addict. You don't want anybody to overdose and die. Lord, it's your heart to bring life and that more abundantly. It's your will to, you said, come to the waters and drink freely. You want to satisfy our soul. You want to reconcile us to God. You want to give us new life. Lord, you love this city. You love every addict. You love every alcoholic. You love every person in bondage. You love even those who are selling their bodies for drugs or stealing or getting involved in violence. All of that. God, you love them despite all of that. And you're willing to forgive. You're willing to abundantly pardon. And that is the hope of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, guys.